Thank you. Thanks again. We're going to look again tonight at Ephesians. And what we're going to be doing is really uh, finishing off a passage that we began to look at last time we were in the book of Ephesians. So it's Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 25 down to chapter 5 verse 4. And here Paul says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, false talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Let's come and let's pray. And Father, we pray that would you help us to see and to understand how your word really applies to our lives and how we need to work this through in our lives. Because we know that you call us to be a holy people, a people who are filled by your Holy Spirit. You call us to show the signs of the life of Jesus in our life. Lord, teach us tonight how we can do this in a, in a proper and full way. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a, an interesting story. In a small town in America, a local businessman decided to open up a bar right beside the local church. The church decided to oppose this. They started a campaign, put together a petition, and organised daily prayer meetings to pray against this bar. But work continued, and this new, flashy, elaborately furnished bar was just about to open when there was a lightning storm, and lo and behold, the bar was hit and burned to the ground. Now the church congregation were very happy with this. In fact, they were quite ecstatic, and the sound of their praises to God were heard that night by any who were passing through the town centre. But then word came through that the bar owner was suing the church for $2 million dollars on the ground that the church, by their prayers, were ultimately, ultimately responsible 
for the destruction of his bar. In their response in court, the church vehemently denied any responsibility and that their prayers had anything to do with the tragic accident that befell this bar. When the judge came into court, he looked over the paperwork once more and then slowly shook his head. I don't know how I'm going to decide this case because from what I read here, we seem to have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer <laughs> and an entire church who don't. <laughs> now that story with its underlying, not very, but underlying theme of the need for consistency between what we say and the way that we live ties in very much with what we're looking at tonight in Ephesians. But let me just recap first where we've got to, to set things in context and try to help you to a clear understanding. That is that the first three chapters of this book really set out a truth foundation for the Christian faith, on which everything else Paul says and teaches in the following chapters are built on. And essentially, this then is what the fact that we are new creations in Christ what this should then lead to, how this should then work its way out in our lives. And so in the, the earlier verses of chapter 4, we looked at things like unity, maturity, and purity, a holiness of life. At the fact that because we are new creations in Christ, because we are born again by the Spirit of God, so then we are empowered and enabled by the Spirit to live a new transform life. All the resources we need to live this life are available to us in Jesus Christ. If only we realize this, remember this, and choose by faith to take hold of these resources. If only we choose to live this life that is God's will for his people. Now the last time we looked together at Ephesians, we looked at two practical examples of how this should, should actually work itself out, what this should look like in the life of the Christian. Now tonight, we're going to look at some more of these in these verses that follow. But before we do that, let me just repeat to you a quote from Harold Honer. That's just about how Paul structures what he says here. This is what Honer says. He says, this new section has five exhortations with regard to the believer's conduct. Each of these exhortations has three parts. A negative command first, second, a positive command, and third, the reason for this positive command. So let's move on then to look at, at Paul's third exhortation here in verse 28. He says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. So we begin then with the, the negative command. Do not steal. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. Now, what's Paul talking about here? Is he perhaps thinking of, of slaves who steal from their masters or of Christians stealing from their fellow Christians? Now, both have been suggested and, and both are possibilities. But it's unlikely 
that slaves here were at the forefront of this thinking. Quite simply, because their position as slaves limited their opportunities to steal and to get away with what they'd stolen. And also the punishment that they would have received for stealing would have been a massive disincentive. And as for Christians stealing from other Christians, well, that's not impossible. A Christian can be guilty of any sin if they live again according to the flesh rather than choosing to live by the Spirit, yielded to the Spirit of God. But, you know, I think Paul is actually speaking of something on a larger scale here. And to understand this, we've got to try and remember and understand the context into which Paul was writing here. That this was a society in which the vast majority of people worked as day labourers. People then, they get paid on a daily basis when there was work. And that's day, that day's pay would actually cover little more than the basic essentials of a farmer's need. So when there was no work then for a day or more, then there were little by the way of reserves to carry you through. And certainly there was nothing like a national government-run social security secure safety net that would at least provide the essentials needed for survival. So you see, in this context, petty pilfering was an accepted way of life for many working people. If you couldn't earn what you needed to survive, then you stole what you needed to survive. So Paul then here was seeking to ensure that this sin that largely was culturally acceptable, that this was not tolerated in the church. But then he goes on to the positive command, the positive dimension to this, that instead they should work, that they should do something useful with their own hands. Now you see on first appearance this might not seem a particularly useful or helpful piece of advice. For these people felt that they were driven to steal because they didn't have work. And Paul's answer to this is work. You see, when you begin to actually dig beneath the surface of what Paul's saying here, then actually it does begin to make sense. For you see, the Greek word that's translated into English in the NIV as must work, that word, in the various different contexts it's used in, both within and out with the Bible and other ancient documents, it carries within it, among other things, the sense of making the greatest effort possible, of just basically working yourself to the point of exhaustion, giving everything that you have. So you see, the Christian is to work in such a way as to be the kind of person who an employer will want to employ. To be the kind of person who, if there is work, will be the first name down on the list. And Paul then rounds all this off by, by stating the purpose of this, that he may have something to share with those in need. Now, what Paul's talking about here is, is primarily, I believe, that the, the church acted as a, a family, Acting as a supportive community. He's saying that it's not seeing what you have, what you earn simply as yours. To do with as you please. To be used in whatever way you decide for you and for your family's 
benefit. Rather, it's about seeing whatever you have as a gift from God that's to be stewarded and to be used for his glory. And as part of this, at least in part, that's to be used for those in need. Now, put all this together. And what does this tell us about the evidences in this area of life that demonstrate that we are Christians living in the spirit, that new transformed life that is God's gift to us? Well, I believe it tells us that we won't be people who just go along with the cultural form. We may be engaged in the the petty pilfering and dishonesty that still largely is seen by many as acceptable in our society. For example, taking things from work, which isn't often, I think, often isn't seen as stealing because it's seen as being taken from an anonymous company rather than an individual who we see face to face. Or stealing time from our employer, maybe taking a sick day because we feel we can't be bothered or, or maybe because we just decide we've got something better that we'd rather do. I, I remember in this kind of line a friend of mine who works for a large government organisation. I remember him telling me how when he first went to work there he soon discovered that everybody was in on a wangle with their timesheets that, that meant that they claimed two or three hours of overtime every week for work that they actually didn't do. And at first when he went there, he went along with it because everyone was doing it. Because the government can afford it. Nobody was bothered. It wasn't hurting anybody. And because, I think, as the new boy, he felt a bit vulnerable. But see, after a few months and he was feeling uneasy about this, he decided, no, I'm not going to do this because I don't believe it's right as a Christian. And so he filled in his timesheet accurately, word got round, and immediately people began to realise, hey, listen, if he does this, that shows the rest of us up. And if he continues like this, that's going to cost us our regular, unearned, unsanctioned bonus. So as you can imagine, approaches were made to him. Words were said that he wasn't the most popular man in the break room for quite some time. But I have to tell you, this man is no shrinking violet. He's actually got the skin of a rhinoceros. <laughs> and so he stood up to this. A number of years later, he's a man who not all of his colleagues agree with. Who not all of them fully understand. But you know what? He is admired for being a man who lives according to his principles. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that's a big challenge. But Christians shouldn't only be known for not stealing or cutting corners. No, they should also be known as being those who give of their best at work and for those who are ready to give and to help those in need. Certainly, as part of this, to any in need within the church, though we do live today in a very different context and there's much less of that kind of need around today. But areas of need in our community, areas of need in our world today, Christians who are living out in the spirit, that new transformed life that is God's gift to us in Jesus Christ, Christians who are living like this will be at the forefront 
in seeking to meet that need in whatever way they can. Those alternatively, Christians who are living carelessly, Christians who are not seeking God, not living yielding to the Spirit, but who instead are living in the flesh, lives that are a little different from those in the world around, these Christians won't be particularly concerned about being the best employees they can be. And they won't let thoughts of the needy get in the way of their pleasure and enjoyment and self-indulgence. Paul's fourth exhortation we move on to that he, he gives here about how this transformed life should work its way out in our life is found in verse 29 and 30. And he says, Do not let any, un any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And here then, the negative command that Paul starts with is don't use your mouths for evil. Don't use your mouths destructively. And in fact, the word that's translated here as unwholesome is actually used elsewhere of rancid fish, rotten wood or, or fruit. It's used of things that are foul, that are putrid. Now, this must include things like, like blasphemy, inappropriate use of the Lord's name, or the use of obscene language, bad language, swearing that's expanded on in, in 5.4, nor should there be any obscenity, false talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. Now, I, I was thinking about this, and I have to say, I, I think there's maybe been a little bit of slippage among Christians in, in this kind of area in recent years. Now, maybe that's because people don't understand or, or maybe haven't been made aware that bad language, things like swearing, have got no place in the life of someone who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And maybe at times, maybe the folks with someone like me, maybe I'm misunderstanding and misinterpreting what people are actually saying and thinking something's wrong when it isn't. For instance, there have been times when I've heard Christian people saying something like, geez, or geez, oh. I want to say to you, maybe I've got this wrong. Maybe this is a slightly different word that's used today in a different way. But when I was younger, that was an abbreviated form of the name Jesus. And it was a word that many people used, thinking that it was a kind of low-level, acceptable swear in comparison to the outright obscenities used by others. Because I think we need to be straight here. If instead it is the case that this is an abbreviated form of the name of Jesus, then it is totally inappropriate for a Christian to use that name in a casual way. For while our society might see that as low-level swearing, yet from a Christian perspective, surely this is blasphemy. This is a sin against God. It's a sin that offends God. It's something that hurts God. You see, God is hurt when people use his name in a casual way. But when Paul speaks here and makes it clear that God's people should not use their mouths in a, a foul, unwholesome way, 
it actually may be that, that he's got something else in mind as well that's, that's brought out into the open by the positive command that regarding our speech, the use of our mouths, that here he goes on to share where he says, do not let any, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. So, so then what Paul is saying is that, that as Christians, and this finishes off the, the negative part, as Christians, we shouldn't use our mouths, we shouldn't in our speech, as well as not blaspheme, as well as not engage in bad language, we also shouldn't use our tongues to tear down Christians or the church, to criticise negatively, to wound or gossip about. Rather, and this is the positive, as Christians, if we're living in the Spirit, if we're living yielded to the Spirit, if we are living a new transformed life that is God's will for us and his gift to us in Jesus, then we will use our mouths, we will use our speech to build up, to edify, to encourage, to comfort, to help one another on in whatever way we can, to help each other by this, to grow more and more into the Christian, into the church, into the community, the Christian family that God wants his people to be. Now you see, when you understand this, then you understand, I think, much better the next verse, which otherwise seems a little bit disconnected from what's gone before. It goes on, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. You see, that this is what is achieved when we use our tongues in a positive way. In a way that, that lines up with us being indwelled by the Spirit of God, filled with that Spirit of Jesus. That's what happens. We do not grieve the Spirit of God as we live like this. Whereas, of course, if we live our lives using our mouths, using our speech in negative ways, using them in ways that are inconsistent with Christian faith and show no mark of the life of the Spirit, well then, we do grieve the Spirit. We do hurt God as we choose to live in a way that dishonors Him. And of course, what it says here about being sealed with the Spirit and, and about the day of redemption, this also lines up with all this. For we are sealed with the Spirit at the moment of our conversion. That's when we're sealed with the Spirit. Paul makes that clear earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians 1.13, where he says, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So then it's the gift of the Spirit at the beginning of our Christian life that is the stamp, that's the seal by which God marks each one of us as his own. And then, the day of redemption, well, I believe that basically there are two phases to redemption. The first phase takes place when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and as a result of coming to faith, we then are set free from the power of sin. That's the first stage of redemption. Not that we cannot sin, 
but in that the dominating power of sin over our lives is broken. That's the first stage. The second stage of redemption, though, that takes place when Christ returns. That takes place at that moment when then believers will then be set free, not just from the power, but from the presence of sin. Because then sin will be no more. Then all that we received in salvation will be complete. So if you put it together then, the sealing and the day of redemption mark the beginning and the end of that process. That process where the Holy Spirit is actively at work in our lives to enable us to live out the victory. Christ is one for us over sin. And so then to grow in this life more and more and more into his likeness. You see, we are living then, that's what this is saying, in the age. We are living in the time of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a personal spirit and is a sensitive spirit. And what, what Paul's doing here is, is he's urging He's commanding the people of God. He's saying that we need to make sure that by the way we use our mouths, by our speech, to make sure that we do not hurt, grieve the Spirit. But rather, instead, that by keeping in step with the Spirit in this area, by in our speech, as the Spirit does, building up and encouraging our fellow believers and the church, that by doing this, so we might bring joy to the Spirit, that we might please God and bring blessing to the heart of God. Now, I could go on here, and I could go on and on and on, as I've sometimes been accused by some of doing, but really, you know, in, in the following verses, it's, it's variations, really, on the same theme. For in verse 31 to chapter 5, verse 2, Paul there looks at our attitudes and our actions. That's what he looks at there. And he urges us not to be bitter and angry and unkind, but rather to be kind to one another. And by so doing, so to be like Jesus. As he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And you know, Paul puts that in a, a, a lovely play on words in, in all this here. Because the word translated kind in the verse before that one is the Greek word krestos. So you see, you put it together, he's saying, live like this. People of God, church, live like this. Be kind. Be krestos to one another. And by so doing, be like Christ. Christos to one another. And then in verse 3 and 4, he moves on to our sexuality and basically says, as God's people, don't have a dirty mind. Don't engage in conversation that is dirty, that grows out of that dirty mind. Don't build the world around. But rather, handle the sexual part of your life with thanksgiving. That is, see it as a good gift of God. 
See it in that way, so long as it's used in ways that honour our, our people and that honour God, in that God-honouring context of marriage. And I'm going to draw things to a close uh, now with a story that I've found. And this is a story of a little boy, a son of the man, a little boy who was out playing one day and who came into the house at tea time absolutely ravenous. His parents had guests, though, on this particular evening, and they just sat down to begin a meal that he immediately saw, as soon as he came in the door, contained all of his favourite things. And he rushed to the table, but his mother put up her hand to stop him. Johnny, she said, you know the rules in this house. You cannot sit down to eat a meal with dirty hands covered in germs and she sent him away and this house the downstairs bathroom was right beside the dining room so above the sound of running water everyone could hear quite clearly the mutterings of a little voice germs in jesus germs in jesus that's all i ever hear about in this house and i've never seen either of them you know, we Johnny had a lot to learn about what it means to see that which cannot be seen by the human eye. Maybe there's something here that we need to learn, or at least to be reminded of. Again, that when we are born again by the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ then we are enabled and empowered to live a new life, a transformed life that reflects Jesus. And you know, this is the normal Christian life. This is the way Christians should live. Christians should live a life that show a connection to Jesus. We should live a life that reveals Jesus, that makes him real to the world around us. We should show him. We should make him visible. And the only way that this won't happen is if we're not living our lives yielded to the Spirit. The only way that this will happen is if, again, we're allowing our lives to be influenced and formed by the world around us and by that remnant of that sinful nature that lives inside each one of us. And Paul here asks questions of each of us. He challenges us about how we're living <laughs> And about what that says, the way that we live, what that says about who's actually in charge of our lives. And he also guides and encourages us into that way of life, to live that way of life that reflects Christ and that is pleasing to God. So tonight, what's your answer to Paul's question? What does your life tonight actually say about who is in charge? In charge of your heart, in charge of your life, your mind and spirit and body. Does your life show that you are being guided into the way, into the life of Christ? God wants to lead you in that way. So seek him. Give your life to him. And be sure he will lead you into living that kind of transformed life. Let's just pray together. Father, we just...
recognise tonight that, that you're never finished with us. That there's always more work to be done. And Lord, as we think that your call is for us to become more and more like Christ, Lord, we, we recognise just the, the journey that we have to travel. But Father, we know that you're able to do great things in and through the lives of your people. That as we seek you, as we give our lives to you, as we're focused on you, ready to be obedient to you, that you can do wonderful things in the life of each Christian here tonight. Lord, may our hearts be set upon you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.